you would please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. This is, we're going to read into chapter 11. This is God's word. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Adai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripha, and Tog- Togarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, and Kittim, and Rodanim. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sebteca. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in Shinar. From there, from that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth Ir, Kela, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. Mizraim was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lahabites, Naphthalites, Hashurites, Kazlahites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kafterhites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, as far as Laish. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxed, Lud, and Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshach. Arphaxed was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almodad, Shelef, Hazarmapheth, um, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abamal, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Mesha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these nation, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved, toward, moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, 
Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I mean, does this matter? Do we really need to take time and read all these difficult-to-pronounce names? And, and uh, I mean, you know, what's the point? Well, some of you may want to go on and become Bible scholars and study in institutions of higher learning where professors with multiple degrees will talk to you and try and persuade you that basically there's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible that just is, is myth and legend. In fact, some of them were pagan legends that were reworked in order to put a, a, a pro-Jew spin on them, okay? And so uh, when you read these things, I mean, they're interesting because they're ancient stories, and then many people have derived from them a sense of significance or, you know, hope. But uh, really, we <laughs> in Sunday school, it's fine to learn these stories as if they're true. But now that you are becoming scholars, you have to realize this is myth and legend, not history. I had a professor in seminary who had gotten his PhD at Princeton, which is a reputable school. It was started because Yale had gotten too liberal. That's why Princeton was started. Now, Yale, of course, was started because Harvard had gotten too liberal. Harvard was begun as a school to train men, yes, I'll say that, because that was the history, to train men to be ministers of the gospel. And when they said the gospel, they meant the gospel. They meant people who believe the Bible and proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Harvard was started to do, but they got off track. Pretty quickly, in fact. And they've stayed off track. This last year, they chose as their head chaplain, yes, they still have chaplains at Harvard, more than one chaplain at Harvard, because we don't want to disparage the importance of religion. And so they have more than one chaplain, but their head chaplain is an atheist. Really? Really? That's like having a veterinarian who doesn't believe in the reality of animals. Okay? Thinks they're all an illusion 
okay? So you bring me your imaginary pet, and I'll pretend to treat him, and you can give me real money, okay? That's how nuts liberals get. But Harvard went liberal, so they started Yale. Yale went liberal, so they started Princeton. By the time my professor went to Princeton and got his PhD, they convinced him that the Bible was a bunch of myths and that there is no literal Satan, for goodness sake, and there is no real hell and all that stuff. But he still went to Afghanistan in the 1950s in order to try to better the lives of people. He said, Jim, within the first year that I was there, I knew there was a literal devil and that hell is real and the Bible is true and my professors at Princeton did not know what they were talking about. You see, this book holds up. All those other people turned to dirt. So, I want you to see not just that the story of the flood is presented as history, but that the origin of the nations is here given in some detail because they actually knew the record of who descended from this guy, who descended from this guy, and who descended from this guy. And so in chapter 10, you have an account, the genealogy of these various families that became the various nations. And it it talks about multiple generations, various locations, and there are various interesting things in there, but Nimrod is one of the ones that you ought not to skip over. Chapter 10, verse 8. I'll start in verse 7. The sons of Cush, and it lists them. Verse 8. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Was it okay to kill animals? Yeah, God told him that. But Nimrod, the name, becomes in verb form in Hebrew to rebel. To rebel. Because he wasn't just a mighty hunter before the Lord. He became a mighty warrior on the earth. And he used his skill as a hunter to be very violent in conquering other people. And so his name became synonymous with rebellion. Why why does that matter? Because if you go back to before the flood, one of the principal reasons why God said no more was because of all the violence on the earth. Nimrod rebels and becomes not just a mighty hunter before the Lord, but then a mighty warrior in the earth. And violence is spreading. We see in this line that 
there were all these different ones, but it would be through one that God would bring redemption, salvation to the peoples of the earth. Adam had three sons. You remember who they were? Cain, Abel, Seth. What happened to Abel? Killed by his brother Cain. What happened to Cain? He was allowed to live and he had offspring. What happened to his offspring? Well, unless one of his descendants married one of Seth's descendants, which is possible, none of his genes made it onto the boat. Okay? Because salvation came to Noah, who was from the line of Seth. Now, after the flood... Noah's three boys start to have families. But salvation is not going to come through multiple lines. It comes through the line of Shem, who eventually will have a descendant named Abraham. Lots of other descendants too, but salvation is only going to come through one line. Abraham has more than one son but only one son of promise, and that's Isaac. Isaac has twin boys, Jacob and Esau, but salvation is going to come through Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, but salvation is going to come through the tribe of Judah. You see, through the tribe of Judah came Jesus, and he is the only one who saves. So when we look at this, I want you to see, first of all, that it isn't treated as, once upon a time, there was a man, and he had three sons, and he had a bunch of kids, and that's where we all came from. That's not what it says. It says, let me tell you about each of these lines. If you go to my house, in the foyer, you will see a chart that goes from my dad to his mom to her mom, to her mom, and then it goes all the way back through men and women till we get to the third century. Gout, the first of the Goths. I mean, that's ridiculous. You, you, you think that's actually accurate? Yes. It's been carefully, carefully traced, not by my wife, but by a person who actually got her degree from Princeton. Um, this genealogy is real. And what's fun is when, now that they have DNA, and my wife and most of my children have offered up spit as a sacrifice to genealogy, um, we can see the genetic proof that indeed I'm related to this person, this person, this person, and to this person, this person, this person. And DNA is an amazing thing. It does not lie. Okay? 
Because the people who are giving us this information don't know about the chart in the foyer. And they still verify that indeed this person who's descended from this person and this person who's descended from this person and this person who's descended from this person are all related to each other. Isn't that interesting? You say, no, not really. Well, I'll tell you why it should be. Because God's word is true and this is presented to us not as a parable, but as history. Now, in chapter 10, you've got the lines and how they scattered. They spread out. But in chapter 11, the opening verses gives us another account that many people want to say is just a myth, but it's not. And now, the latest developments in the study of linguistics are verifying that this kind of event must have happened because our latest studies show that, in fact, there's this explosion suddenly of all these different languages. Huh. My son recently taught on that, by the way. Clayton did a great job talking about worldview, and he used as an example this discovery by linguists that, indeed, what they had thought happened and how all the languages evolved from one doesn't stand up to scientific scrutiny. Instead, there was an explosion of languages. Well, here's where it happened. This tells us what scientists are just now figuring out. They're linguists or scientists. They are when they do their work scientifically. Chapter 11 tells us this remarkable story about before the spreading out that is described in chapter 10 happened. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there and they said to each other, let's stay here. What's the problem? Why would God care? Because God had told them when they got off the boat, okay, you can eat meat now, but you are to multiply and spread throughout the whole earth and subdue it. It was a reboot of the command from Eden when people were supposed to spread out and fill the earth and subdue it. God cares about the whole planet. God designed this place big enough to accommodate a lot of people, and God likes having a lot of people. Oh, Pastor Whip, don't talk like that. I think, I think the world is in trouble right now because of overpopulation. Yeah, well, I can understand why you'd believe that. Because you're being bombarded with that message. Well, no, 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 I've, I've been to some places where there are too many people. Oh, yes, there are too many people in some places, okay? But that doesn't mean there are too many people. There are places where 
communities are dying because they don't have enough people. And they're begging for folks to come and live there. We'll give you free land if you'll come here. Please, come. We want you. We need you. We, we need people in order to function as a community. Turns out, God designed us in such a way that people need people. Imagine that. Do any of you ever wish that you could just get away from people and be on your own and just have your own place and not have to, not have to deal with anybody? You could just grow your own food and have your own place and just, you know. I can understand that feeling. There are days when I think many of us feel that way. Just be nice to be alone. Well, not totally alone. I'd like to have somebody there with me. Of course, if I had somebody there with me, we might, might end up having kids. If we had kids, then pretty soon, pretty soon I'd have to build a man cave. That's the stupid, stupid aspiration of many people. A place that's just mine. Remember Gollum? Okay. I, I mean, it's this sick, twisted mindset that says, I should be able to be all about me. No, you shouldn't. That's selfish. Stupid. It's evil. Well, these people didn't want to spread out. They knew that there might be danger out there. And they thought, we're going to stay together all in one place, and we're going to build a tower that will make us famous. We're going to make a name for ourselves, okay? People are going to know who we are. Well, if you're all together, of course they will. But anyway, we're going to build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. We're going to make our own way to God. God thinks he's so great. I say... Let's build a ladder. We're going to build the first high rise. Okay? It's going to reach all the way to the heavens. And they're working on this thing. And I love, please note the humor in this. There's, there's a phenomenon called anthropomorphism. And that is where God basically describes himself as if he was human. Okay? God says, my right arm will accomplish this, okay? When in this passage, the people are building to such a great height that they're going to get all the way up there to the heavens. God says, uh, we better go down and see what this is. Do you see that? Verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that men were building. He's describing, God is describing himself as if he can't see. God knows everything, okay? But he says this huge accomplishment of man was so tiny that he had to get a closer look, okay? It was so minuscule that he couldn't see it. Does that mean he really literally couldn't see it? No, it means... Don't be impressed with what you do. 
I am so good. I mean, if people only knew. I mean, if they just knew. Did you see what I did? These folks think they're going to reach God by their own effort. You and I cannot reach God by our own effort. God has to come to us. And he did. The word became flesh and lived among us. God became a man so that we could be saved. We could never accomplish salvation by our effort and achievement. So the Lord came down to see. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. I think he smiled as he said that. What were they doing? They were trying to find a way that they could all stay together when God had said, you're to fill the earth. And so they were trying to keep from being scattered. Got it? Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, that's pride, and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We don't want to spread out. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them. Verse 9, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You know why people are spread out? Because God said go, and they said no, and he said, and suddenly they found themselves scattering. Imagine that day when God changed the language in the midst of a construction project. They had all been speaking English up to this point. No, that's a joke. They all had one language, and all of a sudden, one of them is making clicking sounds, and another one is making... And somebody else is going... And one guy we know was up on one of the ledges going, Parlez-vous français? Nah. French, Spanish, all those things evolved later out of the Latinate languages. But guess what? God made it so they couldn't communicate with each other. But this one found that one, and they could understand each other. And this one found that one, and they could understand each other. And pretty soon, people were saying, well, I want to be with people like me, so... We're going we're gonna to go off. Two New Testament parallels that we need to see. First of all, on the day of Pentecost, God took a whole bunch of people who didn't speak the same language and he made it so they could understand each other as they were praising God. Isn't that wonderful? They were praising God in the various languages that they hadn't even learned. Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit gave them the capacity to speak in a language they had not learned and be understood by the visitors who were from all over in the city that day. And those people were amazed because they heard them speaking in their own language. And sometime we'll tell stories about that. But it happened. And God was making it so that on the one hand, his people could be one. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit who brings people from all kinds of backgrounds together and unites us and makes us one. But God had also, in the New Testament, told his people that they were to spread out and be his witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and in Samaria, the next-door neighbor, and throughout the whole earth. And instead, the church decided, uh, we think staying in Jerusalem is a good idea. So we're happy to tell visitors to Jerusalem, and they can maybe go back and take the message, but we're going to stay right here. And you know what God did? He went, you know what he used? Persecution. God used persecution of his people to scatter them throughout the whole Roman Empire and beyond. Why? Because God's plan was that the gospel would go forth throughout the whole earth. And God is still using various means today to get his people out of their comfort zone and scatter them abroad so that people who have not heard might hear the good news. Let me tell you something. The good news has not changed. There is salvation in no one else, only in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You can't get there by human effort. You can't work with others in order to make a way to God. God has made the way open to all who call on the name of the Lord. Our job is to serve as his ambassadors, inviting people, pleading with people to come. Trust Jesus. He will not fail you. Let's pray. Father, when we read these ancient stories, help us to know that they are true. And help us to see ourselves and the folly of trying to earn our way to you, trying through effort to approach your throne. We would say as we sang earlier, Jesus, come. We need you. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. We need you. Thank you for coming already and offering your life as the perfect sacrifice. Help us, we pray, to trust in you and in you alone. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.